Welcome to the Title Run Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Bethay, coming to you on Wednesday, March the 3rd, two days after the Hawks parted ways with head coach Lloyd Pierce. If you're new to the show, you can follow us on major social media platforms like Facebook or Twitter. Email us, titlerunsports at gmail.com, or you can listen to us on any major podcasting platform such as Spotify, CastBox, Apple Podcast, or whatever the platform of your choice is. So I come to you today with the Hawks having axed Lloyd Pierce after two pretty unsuccessful seasons um, in his first two years in his first head coaching job. And I, I've been really dealing with a lot of mixed emotions concerning this firing. It's true that Pierce was brought here to head up a rebuild. And when you look at the history of coaches that rebuild, they almost never get to finish the rebuild. Mark Jackson started the rebuild for Golden State at the beginning of the Steph Curry era and then got fired when the Warriors finally got to the playoffs and replaced with Steve Kerr, who then went on to become a three-time championship coach. Dwayne Casey got Toronto out of the cellar-dweller part of the NBA only to get fired and replaced with Nick Nurse, who went on to win a championship. Brett Brown in Philly got the rebuild started, bringing the end to their process days and got them into being a contender in the Eastern Conference playoffs, only to get replaced by Doc Rivers, who now has them looking like they are a legit championship contender. And even Kenny Atkinson gets the Nets out of the cellar, builds them up into a playoff team, gets Kyrie and Kevin Durant to come to this team, but then never gets a chance to coach him. He gets replaced with a coach with no head coaching experience and Steve Nash. So it's not surprising that Lloyd Pierce didn't get to finish the full rebuild here in Atlanta. He didn't do a whole lot to instill confidence in you during his first two years, but there's just a lot to unpack about this firing. So let me start at the top and not bury the lead. Why was Pierce fired? From the outside looking in, there was a couple of pretty clear things that you could say justified his firing. First of all, the team has most certainly underperformed to this point of the season. Pierce was fired with the team at 14-20, and 20, they sat in 11th place when he was fired on Monday. Now, of course, you know in the East you win three games and you're right back in at the seventh seed. So it's not like they were way out of the playoff race. But when you take a closer look at the way the Hawks have played, they have blown fourth quarter leads in 10 of those games. And they have some of the worst clutch time metrics in all of the NBA. Now, clutch time in the NBA is defined as the last five minutes of the game with the game within five points. When you look at the stats, the Atlanta Hawks are next to last in defensive rating during clutch time and next to last in net rating during clutch time. So the truth is they are not a good fourth quarter team. And when you see a pattern of poor fourth quarter play, that can be traced to coaching. And one of the criticisms that was justified was his fourth quarter lineups. Um, you heard people complaining about him sitting Trey Young too long at the start of fourth quarters, and the Hawks either losing leads at the start or getting even further behind. He didn't play Clint Capella in a lot of his closing lineups for the month of January and about half of February. And there is a real strong correlation between Capella being off the court and the Hawks being bad on defense. And so with them being a horrible fourth-quarter team, you saw the last two weeks that Capella has been in those closing lineups hasn't quite generated the same success that we thought it might, but he needs to be on the court because even if there's less floor spacing with him on the court, 
you're not losing the games on the offensive end of the court. You're losing them on the defensive end of the court. And his rebounding and defense, and Clapella has been a really high-level defender this year, was needed. And so there was criticism about him not making adjustments to get Capella on the floor. Pierce has clearly been horrible at using coaches' challenges, taking really bad challenges. I can't forget the one he took at the end of the game against Cleveland. Cost the Hawks one of their last two timeouts. It was a questionable call at best. I'm not even sure it was the wrong call. Even the guys on the Hawks broadcast on replay are saying, you know, this is a 50-50 bang-bang call. Clearly wasn't going to get overturned. So the Hawks burn one of their last two timeouts. Trey has to take the last one to save a possession at the end of the game. And then at the very, very last possession, when the Cleveland Cavaliers go up, the Hawks have four seconds to inbound the ball and get it up court and no timeouts to use to advance the ball because Pierce used theirs on a horrible coach challenge. And that game was just a microcosm of patterns we've seen over the last two years. So he was fired for those reasons and the fact that ownership is apparently in playoff or bust mode. And this has been a mandate, I believe, from Tony Ressler all the way down to Travis Slank. And Pierce even said it himself this year that he knew they were expected to make the playoffs. And with the offseason additions that were added, this was a playoff roster, especially in the Eastern Conference. A 500 team right now in the Eastern Conference is probably going to get a six or maybe even a five seed. And the Hawks are way under 500. And it just it isn't helped by the report from The Athletic that just came out after Pierce's firing. And this is something they apparently have been holding on for a while, which essentially says that Pierce was butting heads with some of the players in the rosters. Uh, there's rumors that Cam Reddish felt like Pierce was too hard on him. Trey Young and John Collins sometimes butted heads with him. Um, reading between the lines, it seems as if they didn't feel Pierce took enough responsibility for some of their fourth-quarter meltdowns and some of the strategic adjustments that weren't made in losses. And Pierce was probably pretty hard on them as two of the best players in the team and wanting to hold them accountable for their play. And when you hear Travis Schlink in the press conference after Pierce's dismissal talk about needing a new voice and repeating that phrase over and over and over again, it really leads you to believe that the new voice, and I'm using air quotes here, was lingo for the players didn't like him. I mean, that's really how you interpret it, especially when you get this report from The Athletic that seems to affirm that there wasn't the smoothest operation in player-coach communication. So that's why he was fired. Underperformance, bad at closing games, a team that wants to make the playoffs right now, and the fact that he apparently wasn't getting along with the players or didn't have the full support of the players. The next question is, did he deserve to be fired? My response is a strong no, at least not yet. Why? Well, look at what he was given in years one and two. Last year's roster was an abomination. At one point, the Hawks were starting Alex Lynn and Jabari Parker together with Evan Turner being your first player off the bench along with Alan Crabb and DeAndre Bembry. And that's a roster that was missing John Collins for 25 games and unsurprisingly went 4-21 and in the games he missed. He had no chance to win with that roster. And coming into this year, where they have huge offseason additions, Rajon Rondo, who was a splash addition that I didn't particularly care for. We've already talked about that in this podcast. Bogdan Bogdanovich, Danilo Gallinari, and Chris Dunn. Dunn has yet to play this year. And Rondo, Bogdanovich, and Gallinari were in the lineup for the first time together on Tuesday against the Heat. That is the first time this year that all three have played in the same lineup. So 
when you go back and talk about the Hawks' fourth quarter meltdowns, one of the things that I didn't mention is that a lot of these losses are in games they're closing with Tony Snell, Brandon Goodwin, Solomon Hill, and Skylar Mays in the court. Not those guys we just mentioned. So if you want to kill Pierce for being bad at the end of the games with his management of lineups and strategy, you also consider the fact that he's playing with journeyman vets and G League two-way players in his closing lineups because that's, that's the hand he's been dealt. So Pierce got here from Philadelphia with player development and defense as two of his calling cards. And the team has made huge strides defensively. They floated around the top ten in the league with defensive rating for most of the season. Clint Capella has helped a ton. Trey Young and John Collins have grown tremendously in their time under him. DeAndre Hunter made a huge leap this year. So the player development piece is the part that you could see. Players have improved under him. Even Cam Reddish over his rookie year made tremendous growth from beginning of the year to the end of the year. So the player development piece is the part that you can see, but it hasn't been enough. And my issue with firing Pierce now is you didn't give him anything to work with in years one and two. This year you give him a what is a playoff roster that he doesn't get to coach. I mean, the Hawks have 120 games missed from Snell, Bogdanovich, Rondo, Dunn, Gallinari, guys that you plant on playing in your rotation. Like, no one can recover from that. You can still be a good team if you're a LeBron James Lakers team or a Giannis Antetokounmpo Bucks team. You can recover and stay in the top half of your conference. But not as the Atlanta Hawks. Not when you're missing seven rotation players for double-digit games. That's not possible to recover from, and it's not realistic to expect them to do that. And so... I think this firing is premature. I think it reeks of panic and impatience. And again, it's not as if Pierce was a world beater in his time on the job. He had a 63 and 120 overall record. So let's not act like he was the next Steve Kerr or the next Doc Rivers, okay? But to fire a guy that was never given a chance to coach a competent, full NBA roster, to me, is a bad look. So what now? The Hawks try to avoid sliding totally out of the playoff picture. And with them being currently 15-20, and 20, they're about three games out of the last spot. Uh, the last time I checked, that could have changed overnight. And so I think part of the panic is that the Hawks are afraid if they wait too long, they're going to slide too far out of the playoff picture to be able to recover. Again, I don't think that's, naturally, I don't think that's actually realistic. But – if that's the case, why not just wait to the All-Star break where there's this natural reset? One of the things that's really interesting about this firing is that the Hawks fired Pierce after coaching practice on a Monday when they weren't traveling. So they're in Miami, splitting a two-game set there. He leads practice on Monday, has a press conference, and then is fired two hours later. And apparently there was some stir about whether or not Nate McMillan would actually replace him on the bench because by all reports... McMillan is fiercely loyal to Pierce and wasn't necessarily comfortable sliding over and taking his spot. Now, having said that, if that's really what, how Nate McMillan felt, he wasn't paying attention because I think every Hawks fan in the world had said at the beginning of the season, great, if Pierce can't get it done with this group, we have a playoff caliber coach sitting on the bench next to him who can slide over and take his spot. Every Hawks fan saw that coming, so if McMillan didn't think that was part of the plan coming in here, he's naive. Now, this leads to another question. Nate McMillan's here in place. Is he the long-term answer? The question is, I don't know. 
if the Hawks go on a tear and end up with a top five seed, get out of the um, get out of the playing tournament, end up maybe even winning a playoff series, he's going to get the job, and he should. But the truth is that McMillan is another one of those coaches that is a rebuild coach. I'm using air quotes here. When I say that, what I mean is that McMillan is the coach that you use to get a bad team to good, and then you go hire the coach that you want to take your team from good to elite. So Nate McMillan is the coach that you hire before you go hire Doc Rivers or Tyron Lue. I hate to say that, but that's true because look at his tenure with the Pacers. They were a playoff team that could get to the first or second round, and they would lose, and so they went and hired the other Nate, Nate Bjorken. I think I'm saying his name correctly. I hope I am. Billy, check that for me. By the way, y'all, Billy the intern's back from vacation. Billy, how was your vacation? No, no, don't come over to the microphone. They don't care that much. Okay, good. All right. Let me say this as a, as a quick uh, aside here. Um, we are going to start doing some YouTube videos that kind of lead into these podcasts. Billy did a great job editing the first one. I will actually give him props. No, Billy, do not come to this microphone. Okay. But um, I digress. Getting back to what we're saying. Nate Bjorken replaced Nate McMillan and has the Pacers playing at a really high level without Victor Oladipo and even without Karis LeVert, who they brought in to replace Oladipo. So he is a good coach. He is a good person to fill in. I think that he could be the coach that is the, I hate to say this, but starter coach for the Hawks to get them to the playoffs, to do what you thought Lloyd Pierce might do this year. And who knows, maybe he can take them past the ceiling that he's hit at his previous destinations of a first or second round playoff team. This leads to another question. Is Travis Slink next? Generally, when a GM fires the head coach, it means that the GM himself is on notice. But with Slink, I'm not sure that's the case. Because to me, the roster he put together is a very good roster, pretty much universally acclaimed offseason for the Hawks this year. Everybody agrees that the signings were good players that he got for decent value. And I just I just don't see him being under pressure when it's clear to everybody that the team is underperforming. Now, I think the question about Slink's future was a fair question last season after the roster was terrible and DeAndre Hunter looked like a low-ceiling role player. But with this offseason and his work and the fact that this is a good roster that's been put together, to me this is an indication that, if anything, management knows this team is underachieving and they're holding Lloyd Pierce responsible for it. I do not think Slink's job is in jeopardy this season. I think it would take either a catastrophic collapse in the second half and Nate McMillan just doing an absolutely horrible job for Slink to lose, lose his job or just – a continued string of unbelievable injuries that could prevent the Hawks from ever getting out of the cellar. But I think that Schlink's job is safe for now. Now, as for changing the coaches, will it make a difference? It's kind of hard to say. We know that the Hawks are going to get healthy. Ironically, Bogdan Bogdanovich plays his first game last night in Nate McMillan's first game. And of course, the Hawks win. And of course, you know, now the now you start the narrative of, you know, McMillan's 3 and 0 as head coach so far. They played a great fourth quarter when, in reality, the Heat shot horribly in the fourth quarter, scored 14 points in the fourth quarter. That contributed to them winning last night, the Hawks winning last night. But, of course, the narrative is going to be that the Hawks have improved. And Nate McMillan will get the team healthy in the second half. They'll play way better. The Hawks make the playoffs, and he'll get all the credit. It's easy to see that happening. What, was he actually the difference in what happened in the second half? It'll be hard for us to ever know. So, in conclusion, I'm not a fan of this move. Other coaches around the NBA are not fans of this move. Spurs coach Greg Popovich. Spurs coach Greg Popovich, who worked with Lloyd Pierce at Team USA Basketball, came to his defense. Steve Nash came to his defense. Even Rick Carlisle came to his defense. And 
they essentially said the same thing, that Pierce is a good dude, he is a promising young coach, and that this firing smacks of impatience and desperation. And I really have to agree with that. Now, again, I don't know that Lloyd Pierce was ever going to be a great head coach. I had not seen enough to determine that. But I would have liked to see him coach at least one or two seasons with a competitive roster to see what he's capable of. Instead, he got half a season of the most snake-bitten roster in the NBA, stuck having to play journeyman vets and G-leaguers in the closing lineups for the third year in a row. And regardless of what you think about Lloyd Pierce as a coach, I think we can all agree that he probably deserved better than this. This is Dave Bethay with the Title Run Sports Podcast. That's it for today. Thank you for listening.